My name is Solomon Abaki. I'm one of the pastors here at Hope Midtown. If you're joining us for the first time, I welcome all of you guys. And it's a great privilege to see you this morning. And uh, I won't say braving the cold, but at least looking forward to brighter weather as the day goes by. Let's appreciate uh, Mr. Howard for reading our scriptures this morning. We just appreciate him. And of course, Miss Bianca was also going out. We appreciate her. And of course, the entire team to make this beautiful. Uh, if you're joining us for the first time, I know uh, for the guys that have been here for the last three Sundays, we've been talking about the church we hope for. And it seems like Drew had finalized his uh, sermon last time. But I thought of the church we hope for being a steadfast church, especially in this time now we are living difficult times. Judicially, it's difficult. Cases are being taking longer time to be solved. Economically, we know there's crisis everywhere. Not only COVID, but of course we know the Ukraine-Russian war has affected uh, us globally. Uh, socially, COVID exposed us. We thought like we are really close to each other. But even saying hi seems like it's work. <laughs> Live alone, greeting and shaking the hands of your neighbor. It's too tough. We know that people lost their marriages during COVID. It's getting tough. Relationships were broken during those times. And also we know church-wise, things became complicated. It was the first time the pastors and the leaders of the church didn't know how to gather the people together without seeing them. And it seems every day things are getting really difficult on our side. But still Christ is calling us to be a steady first church in that kind of environment that we're being called. And you might wonder, are we the only generation that is facing those moments? But I want to share some people who did this earlier on. They experienced the difficulties and challenges, not as ours, because even us, technologically, it's also, I mean, getting, the technology is becoming complex. They give us the iPhones, like mine, 50%. I don't know how I can, I can be able to use that. Yeah, they're saying that it simplifies life, but it makes life complicated. <laughs> Maybe you might be like me. And so, all of us, we long for simpler days and simpler ways of doing things. Don't we? Yeah, whereby, you know, on just a, a button and everything comes on there. Cases are handled well, judicially. Economically, we are thriving, not struggling. You know, socially, we are all there. And all that, church-wise, things become easier for us. Well, there are people in the book of Acts. It tells us of the early church that during their hard times, the hard times of persecution. These guys, they were able to turn the world upside down, not for themselves, but turn the world upside down for Jesus in the midst of persecution. In fact, the Bible says as they were being persecuted, the church thrived, the church increased. And I believe we who have been called as a church, this is the moment whereby we can bring hope to a despairing society and community and nations. 
And how do we bring that? By becoming steadfast, just like these guys. In fact, when we look at Acts chapter 17, 6 to 9, I won't read the whole of it. Uh, it says, talking about Paul and Silas, it says, This man who have turned the world upside down have come here too. Paul and Silas, if you're a Bible scholar, if you, do, you have not read this, let me just tell you. These guys were taken into prison because they were, pray, they were proclaiming Jesus. And in their prison, what happened? As they were praising God, the prison doors were open. Chains were loosed. I mean, praising God in the midst when you are chained in the jail and not complaining. And we see the miraculous things that happen in their livelihood. How did they do it in that time of persecution? How did they do it? In spite of facing challenges, right, left, center in their lives. Being dragged from their homes. Paul himself, this guy, as we see, Paul himself. Before he became Paul, he was Saul of Tarsus. He was the one involved in dragging anyone who professed to be a Christian from their homes and sending them to jail and even killing some. But he realized he was fighting a losing battle. He was converted. And became Paul the apostle. And he realized, I can't stop this. I have to be part and parcel of these guys who are turning the world upside down. And he became part and parcel of doing that likewise. But how did they do it in times of great turmoils? I may not compare that time and our time. Because when COVID hit us, no one prepared for it. Is there anyone who prepared for it? No one. Not a single one of us. We don't know what awaits us. Tomorrow, the day after, one month, two months, you know, three months. But there's something that kept these guys going. And we want to learn from them that which can keep us going as well. In this great difficult thing we call life. In this side of end of eternity. So, how did they do it? They were steadfast. How does that church we hope for look like? The church we hope for, how does it look like? The church we hope for should be a steadfast church. It should be a steadfast church. The word steadfast here, what does it mean? It says loyal, faithful. Can we say together? Committed, dedicated, reliable, trusty. That's the kind of church that can be able to withstand this difficult moment of things we call life. And how do we do it? Because we can see the example of these guys. Because they also saw the example of Jesus. Jesus was loyal to his father. He did all that the father had told him to do. He was faithful. In fact, the Bible says, he has called you. He is faithful and he will do it. If Jesus did it for us and is calling us to be faithful, it's not like he's just giving us instruction and he's not done it for us. No. He was faithful. And as he's calling us, he wants us to be faithful. In fact, the Bible says, for us to be faithful stewards of the manifold grace of God. That which he has shown us, it not only stops with us, we also extend the same to others. Jesus was committed wholly to you and I. The Bible says he was obedient even, death, obedient even to death on the cross. 
He says, I will do it till I finish it. And we as a church, we are being called in that place of committing ourselves just like he committed himself to us. He was dedicated to God. He was dependable, reliable, always looking up to God. So number one, how does the church we hope for look like? Number one is a steadfast church which is steadfast in the apostles' doctrine. Joshua chapter 1 verse 8 says, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. I want you just to tell yourself. Say, this book of the law shall not depart from my mouth. <laughs> yes, that's what the Bible is telling us. It shall not depart from your mouth. But it says, but I shall read. Most people say, they read there and they stop. Some people read the Bible as a novel. They read it and then, you know, it's like just a storyline. But the Bible says, and meditate on it. Once a week? Does it say once a week? But it says what there? Day and night. Most of us, we've been given technology. The app, the Bible app. But the only time I open the Bible app is on a Sunday morning when you're gathering and the preacher man or the preacher woman tells us, let's open our Bible. That's when you remember, oh, where's uh, the Bible up? And you like, it got read. But it says day and night. Why do I have to meditate on day and night? So that I may be careful to do everything in accordance with all that it is written. And as I do that, what is the result? It says, for then God will make. Does it say God will make? What does it say there? For then? For then? Who will make? You. You and I. It's not God. So for me to meditate on this word day and night, it says, I am the one to make my way prosperous. And then I will be successful. That's where we are being called. And these people knew that in time of persecution, they were to recall this. That the only way we'll prosper in times of difficulties and challenging moments is to meditate day and night on the word of God. Unfortunately, most of us, we've opened our ears to the news that are happening around the world. I'm not saying you shut completely out of them, but it's filling us with negativity. Now and again, we are what we are hearing. And our faith seems to be, you know, uh, disturbed. And we, we, began to, we begin to live in despair and hopelessness. But when we take in God's word, there is a way we are being stirred. We become hopeful people. And we can also pass the same to the people that we come along with. We are carriers of hope. The only way we can carry this is when we allow the word of Christ. In fact, Corinth, I mean, Colossians 3.16 says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. When we have God's word, when we have Jesus, we ooze out Jesus. That's what happens. You carry Jesus, you ooze out Jesus. People see you and you're all struggling. Of course, all of us, we went through COVID. But what kept us alive is God's word. Say, the word of the Lord will never ever fail us, but it will forever stand. In fact, David says in Psalms 91, 19, 92, 93, says, 
Unless your law had been my delight. Unless the word of God had been David's delight. It says, I will, I will have perished in my affliction. David, before he became a king, he was being chased by King Saul. And King Saul wanted to do him in. He wanted to destroy him. Because he had, he had been anointed earlier on as a teenager to be the next king. And King Saul he knew like, my son Jonathan won't be the one taking over. It's this guy who is not part of my, you know, part of the inheritance. And so he wanted to kill him. And he was chasing him with armies. And how did David encourage himself in that time of affliction? He says, the law of God had been his delight. You may be here and you feel afflictions is surrounding you right, left, center. How can you encourage yourself? By delighting in God's word. This is what we see from these disciples who became apostles. They were being dragged from their houses, sent into prison. Some of them being sewn into two. I mean, that's amazing. And dying for the one that has called them. Some of them losing their families, not ever to see their family again. But they say, no, I won't lose hope. I won't despair. It's a challenging moment. We are losing some of us, but we'll delight in God's word. He says, I will never forget your precepts. David says that. How can I? And he's challenging us. How can I? Can I put myself, how can I get, forget God's word? For he says that, Uh, how can I? For it is by them you have quickened me. You have granted me life. The word of God gives us life. Jesus. The Bible in the book of John says, in the beginning there was the word. And the word was with God. And the word was God. And he came and dwelt among us. Talking about Jesus. We can't make it without him in us. In fact, the Bible says it is the word of life. Jesus himself is the word of life. And this takes me to a disciple, one of the disciples here. After Jesus teaching multitudes, and then some of them began to depart. Say like, oh, we can't handle this. Quite a number left. And then Jesus turned to one of his trusted disciples, Simon Peter. And he asked them, do you also want to live like the others have left because of difficulties that are coming ahead? Then Peter says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Where can we run to? And you might be here and you feel like life has beaten you. And you're being asked this question. Where can you, Solomon, run to? And I'm encouraging you. Where can you, John, whom I've met today, where can you run to? Jesus. Why? Because he has the words of eternal life. These guys left a legacy. Even though they lost their lives, they chose that. And that's why we can be able to be witnesses and testify that in the midst of troubles and trials, they stood firm. And that's the church we hope for. That will stand firm in God's word. There are so many things that are being thrown at us. Through the media. Through every other part. But unless we choose to stand firm. In God's word. Darkness will always be there. 
but the light of God. In fact, the Bible says the entrance of the word of God brings forth light. It pierces every darkness that we, we face in this life. And these guys were able to hold on to that. And I'm encouraging us as a church. And if you're here and maybe you may not know the Lord, you're being called in that place. The only way to be able to withstand all the opposing things that we see, economically, judicially, and all that, our hope is family found on Jesus. Number two. How does the church we offer look like? Number two, that church was steadfast in fellowship. Fellowship is very key in this age we are living in. For us to thrive in challenging moments, we need one another. The Bible says there, the Greek word for fellowship is koinonia. And if you are a Greek person here, forgive me because I might pronounce it not rightly. So I'm an African and <laughs> I may not pronounce it well. But it means... Communion or communication. We weren't communicating with each other during COVID. Like, uh, you just see guy from a distance and like, you know, social distance. But the Lord requires us to not have social distance <laughs> on the spiritual stuff. Because we need each other. Koinonia is people sharing with one another the things of the kingdom and the things of God. So when we come together, like right now. We've come together. We are sharing the things of the kingdom, yeah? And the things of God. That is the only thing that keeps us alive. In this world, there are troubles. Is there anyone who has never faced trouble in this world? You see, 100%, no one. <laughs> We've all faced trouble in this world. And the only thing that keeps us is fellowship when we're sharing the things of God and the things of the kingdom. It keeps hope alive. These guys, they could only keep hope alive when we are sharing with one another. In the book of Acts chapter 2, when we have just read it. Sharing good things with each other. That's where they have been called. Well, you might be here and... Uh, as we hear this for the first time, what's fellowship? Why, why should we gather? But I'm being reminded here that in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13, 24b and 27, it says, For as the body is one, and as many members, see, my body, yeah, it's one, huh? but as many members, their fingers, their hands, their legs, their heads, their ears, everything has importance, yeah? Everything has importance. I mean, the hand won't say like, I don't need you. It needs me to pick on some stuff. The eye won't see, I don't need you. I can operate, but I need my eyes to lead me somewhere. So he says this. But all the members of that one body, being many, are one body. Yeah, they're all, but he says, they feed all in all. So also is Christ. Just like we are. So Christ is not divided. As we normally being portrayed outside. No, it is not. He says, for by one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free. And I, can, and I can add this, whether black or white, whether pink or red or brown, African, Asian, American. No, we all were baptized into one spirit. And it says, and I've all been made to drink into one spirit. God composed the body. 
having given greater honor to that part which lacks it, that there should be no schism or what we call division in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another. The reason why these guys thrived, they had the same care for one another. I saw in the time of COVID that people were caring for each other. But it was just for a moment. But can that be consistently? The Bible says here they continue steadfastly without stopping, committed, devoted, dedicated, caring for each other. And that kept them. I won't go in all of that. Some people may say, I don't need this koinonia. I don't need this fellowship. I've been a Christian for 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, 50 years. Why should I come for these meetings? I know how they will be. I know they will start from here and this, from here and there. And they might say, I am as strong as a tall and a redwood tree. Anyone who has seen a redwood tree? I can see one nodding their head there. Let me just describe you something about a redwood tree. They seem to be very tall. Actually, they say that a redwood tree can be tall as 8 feet, 20 feet, up to 375 feet, taller than the Statue of Liberty. So if you've not seen a redwood tree, just see the Statue of Liberty and add a few heights there <laughs> and be able to get it. So someone might say, but you know what? This redwood tree, their roots are very shallow. So a mild wind can topple it and it, it falls down. So the only, the only thing that keeps this redwood tree is because they are always together in groves. They're in group. They're growing together in groups. And their roots interlock each other on the ground. That is what keeps them strong, even though they're very tall. What do I mean by this? The only way we will stand and be steadfast in these times and season of great difficulties is when we are interlocking. Our roots are interlocking. Fellowship is key, is important in this grant. And that's why for members who are part of Hope Town, we encourage people in small groups. We encourage people for those courses that are there. You know, even if you've been cruising through the website, those are the things we meet during the week. The cookout thing, it's for fellowship so that we can strengthen each other in this difficult thing called life for us to make it. In fact, Hebrews chapter 10, 24 says this. And let us consider, tell your neighbor, let us consider. <laughs> yeah, let us consider. It's important. Let us consider. Just not considering, but it says... Thoughtfully, let's think about this. Thoughtfully, how we may encourage one another to love and to do good deeds. That's the reason why we come together. Not forsaking our meeting together as believers, uh, but as we meet for worship and instruction, it's important for us. The reason why we meet is for worship and instruction. That's the reason you're here. That we can worship God together. And then we are being instructed by God's word. Number three. How does that church look like? The church we hope for. Steadfast in. Can I hear it? Steadfast in. In prayer. All of us know the power of prayer. And if you are not a believer here. You know there is power in prayer. <laughs> you will ask someone. Can you pray for me? 
So you believe there is power in prayer. Most of us understand that the priority is to be prayer. We know that because we remember how the disciples came to Jesus. And they say, Lord, teach us to pray. I'm convinced that the reason they asked Jesus that request is because of their personal observation. They didn't tell Jesus, teach us how to preach. They didn't ask Jesus, teach us how to disciple men. They didn't ask Jesus, teach us how to cast out demons. They just asked Jesus, teach us how to pray. Because when they observed the life of Jesus, they could see his discipling, his casting out demons, his teachings, and his preachings. They were based on him spending time with the Father. So that the Father could download his will and all that he desired for him to do. And prayer has to have intimacy, response, and involvement. I can't pray to someone I don't have a relationship with. I have to know them. They get to know me. Jesus had a relationship with the Father. The Father knew him. He knew the Father. In fact, he was saying, whatever I see my Father do, that I also do. And that's what we can do. We can come to the Father. Lord, tell me what I need to do. And so he shows me the pattern and I go to do that. So that it's not my will, but my father's will. It has to be, there has to be response. He responds to me, I respond to him. Involvement, it's a two-way, prayer is a two-way traffic. You know, when I, I talk to him, he talks back to me. It's not just like I'm talking. It's like when you're married, people who are married, or you're in a relationship, you keep on just, and then you go. The other guy is like, okay, what's happening here? <laughs> there has to be an involvement. You talk, he talks back. That's how our father wants us to relate with him. In fact, the Bible says, no eye has seen, no ear has heard. No mind has known what the father has planned for those who are, loves him, but by his spirit he has revealed it. No one knows the mind of God except by the spirit of God. First Corinthians chapter 2. I want to know the mind of God. Let my spirit man connect with the Father. That's where he's calling us. And these guys knew. That's the kind of church is needed. The purpose of prayer is not primarily to move the hand of God, but rather to hold the hand of God. And there's an image here. See? That's the kind of prayer. Our prayer is not like, Urgh! our prayer is like, that's, that's what it should be. Most of us, our prayer is like, Ew! and I sweat a lot, and I, I'm tired, but it's like, oh, thank you, Lord. Your grace, your mercy, I can come to you freely because your arms are, your hands is open. And I also open up my hand. That's what God is calling us. It should be that way. People normally say prayer changes things. And I tend not to agree personally. Prayer changes me. It changes my perspective. How I view things. So when I come to the Father, I don't see with my naked eyes. I see through the eyes of faith. Clarity comes alive. So that I see not my will, but you as Jesus. You as God be done. But faith changes things. So when my perspective is changed, and I know that this is the will of God, my faith is stirred up. These people knew 
And that's the kind of church that Christ is looking for. And that's the kind of church you and I hope for. A prayerful church that is steadfast, committed, dedicated to prayer. The last one. How does the church we offer look like? A steadfast in communion. There was, in the book of Acts chapter 2, they were saying they were breaking bread from house to house. And then we see many were saved. A number of them were added. He say, the breaking of bread speaks of communion. And communion is vital to the health of the church corporately and individually. In fact, Paul wrote to the, the church at Corinth that because they took communion lightly, the Bible says, many of them were weak, they were sick, and even dying unnecessarily. Whenever we fail to give worth to the Lord's table, I believe we jeopardize not only our spiritual life, but also our physical, marital, and emotional life as well. People are stressed, let me tell you, outside. People are stressed despairing. But when we take communion, it takes us back to the cross and it shows us that I took all this upon me. All the stresses you have, I laid it upon me. All the beatings of life, I laid it upon me. And we begin to appreciate what Jesus did in our lives. That's why there's importance of communion. That there's one who paid it all for us. It connects us back to him. It takes me to a guy here named Mephibosheth. Can we say Mephibosheth? <laughs> I know he's a tongue twister for some people here. Like me, the tribe I come from, they can't, we can't say shh. Instead of fish, we, we say fish. But I've, with, with time, I've been able to do it. Eh? So Mephibosheth here, from, from 2 Samuel, this was the son of Jonathan. We co of course, we know Jonathan was a friend of David. And Jonathan was the son of King Saul. Remember? So this guy, when he was five years old, his father was killed. Jonathan. Jonathan and King Saul were killed by the Philistines. If you go and read 2 Samuel chapter, let me just, uh, chapter 4 verse 4 and uh, chapter 19, 24 to 30. So that you can meditate what you've just said. Not just reading it, but meditate on that. So, when the father was killed, uh, this, uh, the father of uh, Mephibosheth, a nurse took this guy and she was running in haste so that he could be able to hide him because, you know, he was the next of king. He was to be the next king because by then David was in the wilderness. So they knew if you have killed Jonathan, then the next of king, we also need to kill him. So as he was, as the nurse was running, in haste, she dropped him. And then when Mephibosheth fell, he, he became crippled in both legs. But you know, King David, when King David later on became a king, he said, I want to offer a generous gift to the house of Jonathan. Is there anyone among them that I can be able to be generous? And then they say, oh, there is a guy here called Mephibosheth. But he is what? He's lame, he's crippled, his legs are twisted. And then he says, bring him in. So when Mephibosheth appeared, David's king, was he whole or was he crippled yet? He was still lame and crippled. He couldn't walk, but still he came to the king. 
And Mephibosheth didn't say, I will only come here and visit once, occasionally, you know, when you've been invited to the table. For example, you, if you've been invited by Biden right now, will you say like, oh, thank you, President, but I will stay whenever I want. No, he said, I will stay there. So this guy says, oh, the king has invited me. I want to stay there forever, be at the table and be, be served with those presumptuous meal every day. You know what? At the table is where we don't see. When you're sitting at the dinner table, you don't see this part. You only see this part. And sometimes Jesus is calling us, come and dine. Come and dine with me. And some of us bring excuses. Lord, I'm a terrible sinner. Solomon, you don't know what I did yesterday. I don't think he can invite me. I can come in and dine with him. Solomon, I'm unqualified. I'm crippled. Sinfully, I'm twisted. There's nothing good that comes out of me. But still, Jesus says, come and dine. If David, just a king, could invite Mephibosheth, a cripple, what about our king of kings and the Lord of lords who is inviting us at the dinner table? Right now, you might be here and you feel you've been brutally dropped like this guy. Either in a relationship, in your marriage, at your workplace, by life itself, you feel, I've been brutally dropped, Solomon. I don't know how to get up. Jesus says, come. Come and dine with me. You've been brutally dropped and you feel I've been crippled. I can't come to this place. Day by day, it has been haunting you. Week after week, month after month. Year after year, decade after decade, and there is no result. But Jesus is saying, I want you to come in. I want you to come in. In fact, the Bible says in Matthew chapter 11, 28, verse 30, it says, come to me all. He doesn't say, come to me, you. But it says, all who are weary and heavily burdened. Christ's invitation to us. You're burdened by sin. You're burdened, you're burdened by the things that are haunting you in your life. He says, religious rituals that provide no peace. You're trying on your own and you're sweating like what I was saying. He says, no, you don't need. Come to me. And he says, and I will give you rest. Refreshing your souls with salvation. When I talk about soul, I'm speaking about the mind, the will. The emotion, those are the things that get affected in our lives. And Jesus says, come, I want to restore that. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, following me as my disciple. For I am gentle and humble in heart. Jesus doesn't force himself on anyone. He just extends his hand. And can you stretch forth and accept that hand? If you're here and you, you backslid it, Jesus says, I want to restore you back to myself. If you're here and you do not know the Lord, whom I'm talking about, he says, I want to begin a relationship with you. Extend your hand. I'm there to hold you. I want to just stand on our feet right now. Let's just stand on our feet this moment. He says, you will find rest. You'll find renewal as the worship team comes here. For your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden 
is light. Even in all those categories, our prayer team will be here to just pray with us at the end of this service. And if you'll be in a hurry, there will be prayer request cards at the back as you get out of uh, the main century. There are prayer requests. You can write there and leave it there. We continue praying for you. There are those two categories. Them that feel like they are backslidden and they feel crippled, brutally dropped by life, by all that is happening around them. If you need prayer at the end, there are prayer line open for us at this just to pray along with you and agree with you that the Lord who restores, who has invited you will do that. And if you need a relationship of him has already extended, gave his life for us, you can extend your hand to him and say, Lord, I'm accepting, I'm receiving your invitation this afternoon. I want to be part of that church that is steadfast in this time that we're facing difficulties and challenges of life. So as the worship team leads us, just surrender this moment to the Lord and just speak to him. I say prayer is about response. You tell him, he tells you.